Hey, turn to Philippians chapter 4, if you would. We're going to end up our, we're going to wrap up our series today in the book of Philippians called His Glory, Our Joy, where we've looked at Paul's letter to this church and, uh, and really the, the invitation uh, for us to remember that we are a part of a grand scheme of, of God's redemptive work in the world, that he is, is moving and reconciling the world into himself. And, and really, he's been doing that from the beginning of history, and he's going to do that. that, that that's where history is, is headed. And to, to see our life in the context of that leads us to live in such a way that we bring glory to God, and, and, and that leads us to have joy in our own life. And so um, we're going to wrap up this, this passage today. Um, the passage uh, can be found, if you're going to use one of our Bibles, on page 982. Um, if, if you uh, want to fire up your app on your phone or tablet, however you want to be, uh, we invite you to have your eyes on Scripture, whatever that looks like for you. Quick note, if you want to pull out your, your actual The Journey SI app, um, if you, would, uh, you can go right to um, what is called This Weekend on the homepage. If you click See Details on This Weekend, that's a good place to kind of land for the, for the sermon. Uh, it's kind of a digital bulletin-like thing where it's going to have not only what the passage is, but you can actually click on the Scripture button right there. It'll take you to... Uh, the, the passage on the ESV.org. You can read it from right there. You can make notes um, in the sermon, uh, and you'll also see some recommended resources uh, for you to kind of follow up, dive a little bit deeper about uh, the topic of the sermon each week. And then at the bottom there, there is some uh, finally updated giving information uh, for those of you who love to see those numbers. And so uh, this weekend on the app is a good place to land for that. So uh, Philippians chapter 4, um, we're going to read... Um, from verse 14 all the way through 20. So if you would, uh, have your eyes on Scripture with me. We'll read this and uh, ask, <clears throat> ask God to speak through his word and uh, change us. His word is living and active, so we come to it accordingly now. Verse 14 in Philippians 4 says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And the Philippians, and you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So today we're going to talk about why we give to the church, why we give to God, and, and the way we give to God is through the church, and, and really why that's set up. And we try to, we, we try to labor this at, at length. Every time we, we present an offering here at the church, we want to remind you that, uh, of, of the heart of God behind that. We're going to dive a little bit deeper today and, and just see what God had in mind for not only, you know, uh, not only our joy and what he's doing in our hearts, but also for his glory through giving to the church. So remember, Paul is writing this letter as a response to the Philippian church, whom he planted, right? You could see in Acts 16 where, God, where Paul is on a missionary journey. He comes into the, the city of Philippi, and God does amazing work and converts um, some people. We get some names of them, Lydia, and then a, a young uh, demon-possessed girl, and then a, a rough blue-collar jailer, a former Roman soldier, and, and they, they are the first to form this church in Philippi. So these are real people, uh, and Paul spent some time there, built, uh, planted this church, built up leaders, installed elders, just like we did today with Jacob, um, and then it, Paul moved on to go plant other churches, and Paul went through all kinds of um, 
stuff as he planted churches. And Paul was stoned several times and, and not like the fun way, right? Like, uh, like the way where they throw rocks at you until you die way. Like that's, that's what the Bible means when it says stoned. Um, just if there was any need for clarity on that. And so um, Paul has, has been left for dead several times, been locked up, beaten. Um, and at this particular time when he's writing this letter, he's actually in jail. And the Philippian church has, has their hearts, they've heard about this. They've heard that their pastor, Paul, is in jail. And so they've sent him a gift with a man named Epaphroditus. And we looked at him in, Philippi, or in chapter 2, and, and this guy nearly dies getting there. He gets sick. He almost doesn't make it to Paul with the gift, but he gets there. And Paul is just overwhelmed with joy. And so he writes this letter as a response to this. And he's writing this letter to the church. And, and if you don't know, much of the New Testament, the book's called like First and Second Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians, those are letters written to churches, um, and most of them written by the Apostle Paul, back to churches that he planted. And this is the only letter written by Paul in the New Testament that we have where Paul is not correcting significant doctrinal issues in a church. The book of Philippians is the most positive letter that we have from Paul, where he's actually celebrating these people. He's really saying, well done, guys. Don't forget, like, keep your eye on, on Jesus and where he's called you, but man, good, like, I'm, I'm overjoyed, and he's not correcting much. He's really celebrating them. And, and one of the ways that he's celebrating them is their generosity. The Philippian church is actually mentioned other times in Scripture as Paul is talking to another church in 2 Corinthians and really uh, compelling them to give. In 2 Corinthians 8, he's telling them, listen, he's celebrating the church at, at, in Macedonia, which is, which is the, where Philippians church is. He says, listen, they've been generous beyond their means. Like they're not coming from a place of wealth and just given what, you know, they just got a lot of cash left over. So, you know, they're the biggest benefactors. Paul says, no, 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 like they're struggling and they're poor, but they're giving generously to the advance of the gospel. And so this is a church that is generous and Paul is encouraging them, affirming them and reminding them of why they give. Okay. So it's important to say that regularly. It's important to know that, um, and, and it's important to not only know that God doesn't want our money, but that God like calls us into this, uh, and there's layers to, to why we give. We're going to see today, we give because it's worship, we give because it's partnership with the gospel, and we give because uh, God invites us to let him supply our needs. And so Paul wants to remind his people of that. And so uh, that's the first thing we're going to see is we talk about why we give to the church. And listen, probably, you know, here at The Journey, like we, you know, you guys can Many of you can say, I know the band sometimes has fun back in the back or whatever they're waiting on, but they can say my spiels about like offering and communion and flawed and perfect people. Like there's things that we say regularly here at the journey because we want, we want you to know them, right? We want it to be really, really clear. And so we talk about offering regularly and we say things like, listen, God doesn't, he's not out for your money, right? Like God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like he, he is not in need. In fact, God says to his people one time, like if I had needs, I wouldn't tell you all, Right? That would be silly. This is the creator of the world, the one who spoke it all into existence, holds it all together. If he has a need, he's not going to come and beg from us, right? God just straight up says that. And, and so uh, when we talk about giving, um, it's always important to remember that and, and because we want to be clear of, of God's heart because many churches have abused this. And we talked about prosperity uh, preachers back in our, our series in the book of Micah. And many of you have, uh, have been a part of churches that really misused the offering, the call of God to, to give. You've seen it misused. You've seen it abused. And many of you have a kind of a gut level reaction of 
you know, negativity and just a resistance to giving. So that's why we're always quick to over-explain what we're doing in those moments. But Paul wants it to be clear. Listen, not only does God not need your money, God has so much more for us whenever he, as our good father, commands and invites us to give. And the first thing we're going to see Paul remind his people is that we give because it is worship. If you look at verse 18, Paul's talking about the, the gift that they have sent him. Um, this, is, this is probably above and beyond their regular offering at the church. They've said, listen, Paul's in need. We're going we're gonna to take up a special offering just to send to him to meet his needs. And so Paul receives this need and he calls it a, uh, in verse 18, Toward the end, he says, I've received it from Epaphroditus. The gifts you sent is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And we say it all every week. We give as an act of worship. We give as an act of worship. It's the first thing we need to know is that we give because it is an act of worship. What do I mean by that? I mean that when we give part of what God, we, whatever God has blessed us with, we're acknowledging, hey, it's not my own anyway. And because it's not my own, I'm going to give part of it back to God so that my trust remains in him and not in the stuff that I can control, the stuff that I can enjoy, things like that. I want my trust to remain in him. So listen, this has been a pattern of creation ever since the beginning. Back in Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel begins because they're bringing offerings to the Lord, right? So from the very beginning in this moment, there's always this posture and rhythm in the life of God, like God's people relating to their God, he says, listen, I've given you a lot of good stuff. He's like, this world is not bad. Money is not evil. Okay, it's the root of all kinds of evil, at least, but money itself is not evil. Same with, with sex. Sex is not bad. Sex is a good thing. It's a good gift from God, but can it be distorted and twisted and used and made evil? Absolutely. And so God says, listen, I made a, a lot of stuff. The Garden of Eden is filled with yeses right? God says yes to all of his creation except one thing, and it's for our protection and for our good. He says, don't go there. That'll, that'll lead to death. And so God, now that sin is in the world, our hearts are corrupt. Our hearts are prone towards sin. He says, listen, there's a lot of good things in this world. And money, possessions, those are good things. You're going to enjoy eating the fruit that, that I've caused to grow in these trees. You're going you're to realize that the, the animals that are walking, they might not look like much, but you kill that hog and cut some of that meat off and grill that. It's really good. Like bacon's really good. You're going to enjoy it, right? You're going to enjoy that. That cow out there, steak's awesome, right? Like so God's saying, these are good things and you're going to enjoy them. And, and you're going you're gonna to start to see that as you get more and more of them, your heart is going to be tempted to kind of be drawn to them, right? And, and drawn to trust in them, to seek in them. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, the way that the ring kind of takes over, you know, uh, anybody that's around it, right? My precious, like when we get more and more money, we start to say, man, this is really good stuff, right? I, I really, I like this. I, I, I like this. I can, I can get a bigger house now and I can get this and I can get this. And not that there's anything wrong with bigger houses, and car, like, but it, we start to gaze at it and treasure it. And God knows that. He's not dumb. He made money. He made us. He knows our hearts. He, he made money. He gets it. And so he says, hey, because I love you, I want you to always take what you get. Whatever harvest comes in, you need to know 
I'm the one you think for that, right? If I don't bring the rains, I don't keep the sun shining, I don't do the, these things, you don't get a harvest, right? So when you get your harvest, don't you dare think that you accomplished that. And don't you dare think that you can trust in all that. Now he says, listen, you take all that and you take it in a posture of worship and you give the first 10% back to me. The first 10% comes back to God. So it's not what's left over. From the beginning, when you get a gift from God, he says, you give it to me. Why? Because God wants to steal your fun and, and take what you have. Or God. No, no, no. It's because he loves you, right? We always say God's not stealing from us. He's trying to lead us into life, right? He's saying if you go there, you follow that, like that's going to be bad for you. That'll lead to death. So come this way. And part of coming this way is you have to leave part of that there so you don't trust it. So from the beginning, God has commanded us and put in the rhythm of life to give as an act of worship. And worship means we treasure God above all else. So we use our money to worship God. We use our money to worship God instead of worshiping money and using God and everything else to get more and more of it, right? That's what, that's what when our hearts latch onto money, we, we worship that. We worship the treasure we can have here on heaven or here on earth, and we, we start using maybe religion. We start, that's what leads churches to get this wrong. We start using religion. We start using people. We start using our you know, whatever's around us to get more and more of what we actually worship and treasure. So if we worship money, we're going to use God to get that. But what we should be doing is worshiping God and using our money to do so. Okay, so we, we give because it is an act of worship. Listen, Jesus, again, he's a good shepherd. He's not doing, he's not calling us to do anything that he hasn't first done himself. We saw in Philippians 2, this beautiful picture of Christ uh, when Paul says, listen, Jesus was in heaven. He had it all. And he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he laid down his riches. And, and the way he puts it in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus has invited us to follow him. And the way that he says we're going to find life, take up our cross, follow him. And he says, you want to find your life? You want more of life? You have to learn to lay it down. And when you lay down your life, you'll find that you, you actually find it. Those who seek to save their life, he says you're going to lose it. If you're trying to get all that you can out of this life, squeeze it all out, you'll, you'll actually you'll find that you lose it. But those who lay it down for the sake of God and his gospel will find that they actually find life in it. Randy Alcorn has a, a book that's... Uh, in your uh, resources list there. And he says, he says this. There's a famous passage. Jesus says, don't lay up yourself, uh, for yourself treasure in, here on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, right? Where nothing can, can destroy and get from it. And Randy Alcorn kind of frames it in a way I think that is helpful. He says this. He says, he who lays up treasure on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. So to him, death is loss. So he says, if you're building up treasures on earth, you're spending your whole life moving away from them. And so if, you, if that's you, to die, that's lost because you're, you're losing what, what, you, what you've treasured and what you have, have put your worship and your hope in. But he who lays up hev- uh, treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity. He's moving closer and closer every day. So to him, death is gain. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? So he says, if, if our treasure, our hope is here on earth, Every day we're closer to death, and every day we're taking steps further and further from our treasure. It's getting further and further away, and we're going to... It's the parable of the rich fool, right? We don't know at what point our, our life is going to be demanded of us, and all of our, our bigger barns and all those things, like, they're not going to mean anything. 
But if we put our treasure in heaven, then every day as we move closer and closer to the end of this life, we look forward with eager expectation for what we've stored up and what we have. And, and therefore, that's what, that's what allows us to join Paul, as we saw earlier in the letter where he says to me, to die is gain. Right? So, we give as an act of worship. Secondly, though, Paul wants to know that as we give, it's not just this formal giving to, you know, to some cause. Okay, I'll fill up. He says, listen, when you give, you're partnering with the advance of the gospel. He says it uh, in verse 14. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. There's fellowship. Another translation, there's fellowship that, that they're joining Paul in what he's doing. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel. So listen, this is, this is real time, first century gospel is advancing. Jesus like Jesus does his work on the cross. He, he, the grave is empty. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks, right? He's resurrected. He's hanging out on earth for like 40 days, somewhere around 500 or so people at least see him, lay eyes on him. Jesus teaches, and then he ascends into heaven, but he leaves instruction. He says, okay, now you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses, and it's going to start here in Jerusalem, and then into Judea, and into Samaria, and into all the world. And what he's saying is, the kingdom has come, and the king has won, and now you go and proclaim. You're going to be my ambassadors, my witnesses, and you go and tell the whole world that the king has conquered death, and salvation belongs to all who withdraw their lives at his mercy. That's the instructions that Jesus leaves with his people. So this book, Paul is living that out. We see the book of Acts is the Acts of the early church. Is the early church like trying to figure that out? And, and they don't leave Jerusalem like God told them to. They don't, they don't take the message out. So what does God do? He allows persecution to come in and start scattering them, right? And then churches are gathering and they're, they're reading, they're understanding more of what God had in mind and what God was doing in, in uh, Christ and the culmination of the Jewish faith. And I start to realize, like, okay, yeah, he told us to go make disciples of all nations. And so a church at Antioch in Acts 13 hears this call from God and says, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas and send them out so that they can start living out this message of taking the gospel to all the ends of the earth. There's people who don't know about Jesus. So in real time, Paul is saying the advance of the gospel is happening right now. Like, people don't know that Jesus is alive. People don't know that Jesus is Savior and they can experience life through him. And if they don't hear it, they can't know, so somebody has to go and tell them, and that's what Paul is doing. And so Paul is saying, from the very beginning, you know that none of the other churches that were around were partnering in this gospel mission except you, church at Philippi. So he says, thank you. You're the ones that are funding this mission. You're the ones that are, are giving generously to God, and because of you and because of your gifts, the gospel is going forward. So when we give, it is partnering with the advance of the gospel. And listen, this is, I know, that for many of you guys, you're like, well, I, you know, this church has done this, and I don't know, I don't trust these elders, I don't trust this, and I don't know if I want to give my money, and I'll give my money to other organizations, and I, I do this, and I do that, and I, I know that this comes with a whole um, list of issues, questions, and all kinds of baggage, and what I want to say to you is, is, listen, I get it, I get it, and there's a lot of good work and good organizations that are doing good things for people throughout the world. But I believe that the church, bruised, banged up, and sometimes wrong as she may be, is God's plan A for redemption of the world. 
that it's not just get everybody on the, on the Jesus wagon because one day he's going to take us all out of here and destroy this whole mess. But no, no, he's actually making this thing new, that he's renewing the earth. He says that by Christ, God is reconciling all things into himself. And so there's, Jesus says the kingdom has come, right? And then he tell, how does he tell his disciples to pray? Pray that what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's saying, like that God's will, God's kingdom would come and take more and more and more colonizing earth and it's with the kingdom of heaven, like that we go forward and everywhere that the people of God declare the message of God, the, the kingdom is advancing and going forward. And I believe that the church is God's plan A to accomplish that. And yes, that rolls into social justice issues. Amen. You know our heart for foster care. You know our heart for mentoring. You know what we're calling our people to. But the church is at the hub of that. If we just do those things out of the the work of good deeds, those may be good things, but they don't last into eternity if Jesus isn't at the center of them. So it is the church's responsibility to join Jesus in healing this broken world. And so as we give... so. God, like, God takes care of the hearts of his people when he says, you give, you give part of whatever you get, you give it to me, right? And that, from Genesis 4 on, it's kind of formalized in Deuteronomy and, and Numbers and Leviticus. There's, there's formalization of how we give and how much the people of God give. And God, but he, he's brilliant because he's taking care of the hearts of his people, but he's also funding his mission at the same time. He says, I have a mission to accomplish. The people of God, the temple of God, is going to be how I do that. And it, that rolls into the New Testament, the culmination of that, where it's no longer about you know, a building in the temple, but it's actually like we are the temple of God, we are the church. And he says, the temple of God is going to be the way that people from all nations know who God is. And so he, he, he's, he's wise in his setup. He says, you give, that'll guard your heart, but I'm also going to use it to fund my mission, to take my church, take my kingdom, and advance it forward. Here's my commitment to you. I have no interest in being part of a church that just grows bigger, I mean, and builds these, you know, incredible buildings and does these incredible services and buys more stuff and does all these things, like, just so that it all terminates on the journey. We we meet in a pole building, for goodness sake, right? Clearly, that's not our agenda. I want to be a part of a church that's doing meaningful, transformative work in the world. In Jesus' name. It's proclaiming Jesus is the hope of the nations, the hope of my own life, and it can be the hope of our neighbor that's across the street from us uh, that's just doing life, you know, and maybe they're in addiction, maybe they're not, but either way, Jesus is the hope of all nations, and so I want to be a part of a church that's doing that kind of work, and I'm grateful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pastor any other kind of church. I'm, I'm grateful that God has called me to the journey, and I believe wholeheartedly in our mission, and you know, like, if you've been to our members' meetings or, or you know, the elders know, like, Priority number one for me was to trim up our budget so that more and more of it goes to mission, right? Like, I, don't, I just don't want it going to fluff stuff. I want it going to meaningful mission. And so, listen, we're a young church. We're only six and a half years old. God has done incredible work. You guys have been very generous. And our budget, for the first time last year, like, we actually, we actually sustained ourselves. Before that, we've been benefiting from the generosity of the other journey churches. They, they planted us, and much like the Philippian church, they invested in this work of God in the journey cell Illinois, and we benefited from that. That's the only way we have the building that we do, and the sound system that we do, and the church, like, because other churches have said, yes, the kingdom goes forward, and I will invest in that work. And so I'm grateful that we celebrated last year, like, hey, 
God has done a work, and, and we are now sustainable. Our, our, our giving surpasses our expenses for the first time, and it's not by a lot, right? But we're there, and we're growing. We're, we're, we're moving into adolescence where we've got, like, we're starting to, to, to be able to care for ourselves as a church. And listen, I'm eager to get to uh, the end of June, and our, our fiscal year runs July 1 to June. I'm eager to look at our budget again and see, okay, how can we give more and more to mission? How can we give more and more to what God is doing here locally and throughout the, the world and the nation's for Jesus' namesake. Like, that's my heart. I want to be a part of a church that is doing transformative gospel work. So, when we give, we are partnering with the gospel. We are, are actually seeing God do work and his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And then lastly, Paul says... Listen, first of all, he says, um, and I get it, people like, and we address this all the time, but again, I know that churches have messed this up. Paul makes it clear, it is not about the money, it's not about the gift. He says it, he says, not that I, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's saying, I'm not just about the amount of money, and I'm saying, hey, get, get, get a little more, give a little more, I like to buy, you know, like, give a little more. Like, no, 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 Paul's not trying to manipulate, he's responding and saying, listen, I, I, it's not about the gift for me, it's about what the gift accomplishes. That the kingdom goes forward, that fruit is, is born through the generosity of God's people, and, and Paul is praising them for that. And saying, God is doing amazing work through and because of the generosity of his people. So if there's a church that, man, it feels like it's all about the money, feels like, like you need to pray through that and discern that and challenge the leadership. And I hope that, that you don't feel that here. Like, we want to be a church on mission, a church that is honoring Jesus with, with what you give. And listen, I, I, I'm just, so part of me... The idea was do the offering after this sermon. Maybe we'll, you know what I mean? Like give people an opportunity to kind of give as a response to this, right? I just, you know, I just don't ever want to be manipulative. Like I don't even want to hint to manipulative. Like my commitment to you guys is like you give as the Lord lays on your heart. You, and we'll talk about that in just a minute briefly. But you give and whatever you give, we'll, we'll build a budget accordingly, Right? We're not going to try to manipulate you and say, oh, you know, here's try to really tell real compelling stories so that you'll give more. Like, no, no, no. You give as an act of worship. You give as an act of obedience. And whatever the Lord puts forward as our offering for our church, that's how we'll build our budget, right? That's, that's how we'll go forward in ministry. It's like, we're not going to try to say, well, if we do all these things, you guys got to give a little bit. No, no, no. Like, you give. We want to disciple you about why it matters between you and the Lord and your own heart that you give. And then Man, we'll, we'll try to steward those resource, resources as best we can to leverage them for the kingdom of, the God, of God. And that's what Paul's saying. It's not about the gift. It's about the fruit that comes from it. So we, part, we give, we partner with the gospel, but then lastly, we give because when we do so, God promises to meet our needs. God promises to meet our needs. Paul says this, verse 19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This comes right on the tail of Paul going through this incredible uh, passage last week of how he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, right? I've done the secret to true priest, the secret to having a lot, the secret to having a little is knowing that it's all about Jesus. And he says, listen, you trust in him and he'll supply every need of yours. So Paul's saying, hey, your gift is awesome and it's met some needs of mine and I'm giving thanks for that. And I know that because of your generosity, God will not leave you without. God will supply your needs, every need of yours, according to his riches 
in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus outlines this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, listen, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. God's got you. Trust in him. Right? God promises to meet our needs, both the ones that we know we have. Right? He knows you've got bills. He knows what you have to pay. Right? And he promises, I'll take care of it. Yeah, but if I, get, I, got, I got to get this level first, and then I'll get... No, no, no. He says, you trust me, and, and I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. He also promises to meet the needs that we don't know that we have. Right? There's a famous verse from Jesus that says it's better to give than to receive, and we could talk about the, you know, the good feeling that you get from being generous, but listen, there's so much more to it than that. There's so much more to the invitation from our Father to give. Um, again, Randy Alcorn is helpful when he puts it this way, and he says that when we give, giving breaks us out of orbit around our own possessions. That when we give, we escape their gravity, the gravity of our possessions, and we're in, we begin to enter into a new orbit around the treasures in heaven. That, that by commanding us, inviting us to give, God is saying, you'll experience freedom from idolatry, that the chains that are bound up on your heart that lead you to overspend, that lead you to get into debt that you don't need to be in with credit cards, lead you to uh, maybe hoard money too much, right? And say, yeah, but I got to have this much. I got to, he says, listen, all of that is rooted in what you're believing about life and about God himself. And whenever you give, you're, you're letting go of that and you're trusting and declaring, okay, Lord, I don't know how it all works out. And I don't know how my bills get paid necessarily, but I'm going to put my trust in you. And I'll go where you say to go. I'll take the job you say to take, and I'll give the, the amount that you say to give because I'm going to trust in you. And he'll meet both the needs that we know we have and the needs that we don't know. He's good, and he wants to provide for us in that way. So what does this look like? What do we do with this? Some of you are like, all right, like, I'm already given, or all right, I get it. I'll, I'll cough up some money. Are we going to pass it again? Like, what do you want me to do, Jordan? Here, here's the deal. Paul is really clear. 2 Corinthians 8, be a good thing for you all to read. But he's really clear. And Jesus makes it clear, the story of the widow's might, right? She gives out of her poverty just the two little coins, right? And Jesus says, man, she has outgave the guy who's floating a big old check out of his abundance. It's not about the amount. Some people want to say, well, how much are you supposed to give? Listen, in the Old Testament, God certainly, as the band makes their way up here, wants us to be thinking about our response and what it looks like for us to be a generous people. And in the Old Testament, God certainly puts forward a standard of, of 10%. Right? But when you start looking at all that God has commanded them to give, it's actually closer to like 25%. Right? And, so, and then the New Testament doesn't, it kind of frees us from a set amount of percentages because, as, as Jesus said, it's really about our heart and our posture toward him. So some of you are like, man, 10%, like I don't, I, I don't have that. There's no way I could go there. And I would just ask you to, hey, before you dismiss that, flip it around and say, well, what if I asked you, hey, would you, would you die? Would you stop surviving if you lost 10% of your income? Most of you be like, well, no, I'm going to figure it out, you know? Well, okay, so first of all, like, Think about it that way, because it's actually being driven by what you value and what you desire. And lay that before the Lord and say, Lord, here, here I am. 
posture to live by that the Bible sets before us is we give first. We don't give out of what we have left. We don't pay our bills and say, okay, well, I got this much left, or if I got some left by the time I get to church or whatever, then I'll, like, no, that's not a way that's honoring to God. And I think you'll actually see some of that tension in Cain and Abel. Like, we give out of our first fruits. When we get our paycheck, we say, okay, Lord, here's, here's this percentage. You have it first. And so we give first, and then we save. If you're, we should be saving, be good stewards of our money, and then we live. So a good, a good rule to live by Give 10%, save 10%, live on 80%. It's really healthy. Some of you are like, man, I got some work to do to get there. I get it. I get it. I think the average credit card debt around America amongst those that have it is a little over $7,000. I get it. Been there. Where you start is on your face before the Lord. Saying, Lord, what would you have me do? This is not about the church, not about the journey. It's not about what, no. Man, just you and the Lord. Lord, what do you have for me? What am I missing out on because I'm not trusting in you? And listen, what kind of difference does he make in the world, in Williamson County, amongst the vulnerable, amongst the addicted, amongst those without homes, amongst those that, that think the church is all about money, thinks the church is just all about religious people? What, what kind of work does he do if God's people begin to be a generous people? First, you're going to be to be honest about where you are. Do you just have a heart level issue where you've just not you've just chose not to give because you don't trust the church, you don't trust God? You need to bring that to the Lord. Just be honest about where you are. Maybe it's that you're just so encumbered with debt. You be honest about that. You bring that to the Lord. You need to start seeking guidance and getting out of that so that you can be free and so that you can participate in the work of the gospel. And then once you're honest with the Lord, you need to lay your life down and say, Lord, it, it is all yours. How you want me to handle this? How you want me to handle it? Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. Listen, this is not about earning our own salvation. Like, may it just end here. May this be what leads us out and leads us into response. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for our sake, became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel. Jesus saw that we couldn't do it on our own. He came and he gave of his life. He didn't hold some of it back. He didn't give just a little bit to see if we were worthy. He gave it all. All that he had, he gave so that we might become people of God. So we're responding to that Lord today. Let's pray. Jesus, trust you. We ask that you do a work in our hearts this morning. Give us the faith to respond, the faith to worship. May you destroy any lies that the enemy has tried to spin through this talk of money. And may your truth just reign supreme in our hearts. And may you deal with us personally this morning and give us courage to respond out of faith. Father, for those that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, would you overwhelm them with your love and generosity and your your gifts this morning. Would you make us a generous people that bring glory to you because we live our lives like you lived yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.